You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. Welcome and thank you for joining me. I created this podcast along with everything I do at yourparentingmentor.com to support and inspire you to be the best parent you can be. I know for a fact and from experience that parenting was never meant to be done alone. From conception to preschool, my mission is to give you the tools, strategies, and knowledge to embrace and elevate your parenting experience. I'm dedicated to supporting, inspiring, and guiding you to nurture your child's immense potential with as much joy and ease as humanly possible. Make sure to take time to check out all of the resources I have gathered for you in the show notes, as well as on my website, yourparentingmentor.com. And be sure to get on my email list so you do not miss a single episode and other products and events I curate specifically for you. And please do not hesitate to reach out if you have any questions, concerns, or feedback. A warm welcome to you and thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. And today I have the lovely Dr. Maisha Claiborne, who will be sharing with us a lot about just the difference of trauma awareness and how we can really stop parenting from our own traumas. So I am very much looking forward to this conversation and a big welcome to you, Dr. Maisha. Well, good. Well, I would say good morning, but it's afternoon here. Hello, Jean-Marie, and thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm I'm always um, pleased and excited to have this conversation. Wonderful. And I think it's an important conversation, uh, especially for parents, because I know you do a lot of work with, you know, corporations and companies and all this, but I was more intrigued as to how this can really help our parenting. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that even even though I do a lot of work with with organizations, one of the things that is universal is that many, many of the people in the room that I speak to about trauma, about trauma-informed communication are also parents. And so when we're in these, you know, these rooms, these organizational rooms, a lot of people will share how not only this will help them in whatever role that they're in, but they can take this home to their spouse, to their partner, to their their kids. And so, parenting is a big is a big love of mine because, well, I am a mom. I'm a, I'm a single mom of a recently turned nine year old, and and with all of the things going on in this world, one of the things I'm most committed to is not only being my best self with him, but also being a model for emotional intelligence for him so that he can grow up to be, you know, well-adjusted and emotionally intelligent. Beautiful. And being a model is, I think, our most important role as parents. So um, very important. And, and just to backtrack, I always like to start with asking my guest what their definition of the art of parenting is. And what would that be for you? If I would have to say, um, I mean, if I could say, you know, in a couple of words, I would say being flexible, flexibility, the flexibility of behavior uh, is is so necessary in the art of parenting, because 
well, we know that there is no rule book for parenting. If there were, someone would be very wealthy. There are a lot <laughs> of books that have been written, but at the end of the day, there is no set handbook. And I think the thing that makes great parents is the ability to be flexible and to learn and to um, be willing to admit when we are wrong um, and to be that model that we are, you know, we most parents want to create productive members of society, successful members of society. And are we modeling what we want our kids to be? So I think that's all encompassed in that art, the flexibility of behavior. Beautiful. Uh, I like that. And and what I'm hearing, though, when you say flexible, and, and I'm being maybe a little bit of devil's advocate, but just sometimes I, I feel that there's this notion that if we're too flexible, we're not... Um, we're not disciplining or we're not uh, guiding our children in what is proper behavior. Is that, I mean, I know that that's not what you mean, but, but could you kind of maybe go in depth about what that really means when you say being flexible? I love that you, that you named that because when I say flexible, I don't mean being passive what I mean is being creative. You know, when are we run up against resistance uh, in our children, sometimes we push back. You know, we, we try to lead by force. And when we're flexible, we can take the behavior that's happening and navigate around it. I, I like to think of it as sort of like a martial art. I teach communication and I talk about it being um, language Aikido. So I'll talk about this as like parenting Aikido. And Aikido is a martial art in which energy is redirected. And so when you come up on an obstacle, you don't try to push and force that obstacle. You look at a way to utilize that energy and redirect that energy to the advantage to the your advantage as as a as a martial artist, and so in the relationship between parent and child, I believe that the flexibility comes with the creativity to listen to the deeper context of what our children are communicating to us and with us, and being able to listen and utilize even some of their communication to reframe and empower them and parent them. And it doesn't mean that we don't set boundaries. We, we must set boundaries because the world will set boundaries and there, the boundaries of the world will probably be harsher than the ones that we have in our household. So we have to set those boundaries and we can creatively discipline. We can creatively set those boundaries. We can co- creatively give responsibility to our children and also or while also allowing them to develop their their communication skills, their negotiation skills, their critical thinking skills, and their their ability to be contributory to the family community, if that makes sense. It makes total sense to me. Thank you for that. Yes, because uh, to me, it's it's also the fact that you know when you say communication, 
behavior is a form of communication. So sometimes when, when, you know, we say a child is misbehaving, you know, quote unquote misbehaving to me, it's just, what are they trying to communicate in that, you know, quote unquote misbehavior? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when we start to see the behavior as the communication, then we can begin to ask the right questions. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, I love that. Thank you. Thank you for that. And and before we get too too involved in our conversation, I'd love if if you could just introduce yourself to our listeners, tell us a little bit about your background and and how you came to do the work that you're doing today. Oh, sure. Yes, we just jumped right in. We, we sure did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have the tendency to do that. <laughs> so do I. So <laughs> Well, uh, as as um, you know, you shared earlier, Dr. Maisha Claire once my full name. I am a physician by training. Family practice was my trained specialty. I got really interested in integrative medicine, which is the marriage of your traditional Western practice of medicine with more holistic, uh, more natural styles of medicine. So I was an acupuncturist and. Uh, nutrition focused, nutrition focused and energy work. And I was a psychology undergraduate major. So I was really into the mind, the mind body connection and mind body medicine. And about, uh, I would say five years into my practice, I realized that I, I, while I loved the integrative space, I needed to feel like I was impacting a, a larger community. And so I ended up training in neuro-linguistic programming, hypnosis, um, and timeline therapy. In neuro-linguistic programming, for those who are, may not be familiar, it's just the way that we use our, our communication, um, spoken and unspoken, verbal and nonverbal communication, to internal and external also, by the way, to impact our thoughts, beliefs, emotions, and behaviors how we use that to impact them for ourselves and with others. And so I learned this, this discipline, began to use it with my patients at the time, decided to step out of clinical medicine to actually coach other healthcare professionals because of the level of burnout that was happening, thinking if I'm impacting healthcare professionals, I'm impacting thousands of patients. So it was like the way I kind of leveled up. And then in 2020, when um, the pandemic happened, when you know, the, the, all of the, the racial tension, the racial divide started to, to arise. My, my calling or, or the calling came, went, went towards how do I impact organizations and help them to understand the impact of their communication, the impact of trauma on their organization, on their employees. And so that's how I came to work with, with organizations. And all the while, um, began training. I became a trainer in in NLP and neurolinguistic programming, a master trainer, so that I could teach these tools also to individuals. So there's a part of my business, a part of my organization that trains individuals, does individual certifications, and there's a part of my organization that focuses on consulting and um, organizational coaching. And so I, I you know, I, I wouldn't give up either side because I do love being in the on the ground, so to speak, 
doing the work one-on-one with people. And I find that I have a bigger impact when I can work with organizations. And so that is the essence of what I do. Like I said earlier, I'm a mom, I'm a yogi of, of almost 20 years. I, My son and I, we do Kung Fu together. That is one of our mom-son things that we do together. And um, I love to travel and, and you know, just really I'm a family woman. <laughs> yeah, wonderful, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for for all of that. And and I love that you do Kung Fu with your son. It's it's something that I I find myself often suggesting to parents that martial arts is really a wonderful way for children to learn about themselves and their their energy. So I, I kudos to you for for doing that with him. Thank you. Thank you. And I think it's a wonderful way for him to connect into a community that has a, a particular mindset around discipline and energy and, and spirituality. Hmm. Yes. So, so one thing that um, I'm intrigued, so you, you, you described a little bit about neuro uh, linguistic, which to me is fascinating and neuro linguistic programming, excuse me, NLP uh, and I've I've dealt a little bit with it, or I've worked with people that were trained. And for me, it is fascinating how our words can have such an impact on not only others, but just on ourselves, like our our, our own self talk, right? Um, so, so you did talk a little bit about that. But how can maybe parents glean something from that understanding, so that they're they're really not maybe passing on, you know, bad habits of, of self-talk or even just how to, how we communicate with each other to, to their children and, and to other family members? Well, I think it starts with two things. One is understanding the brain and how we've come to think the way we think. And I'll, I'll come back to, I'm going to put a pin in that. But the, I think the other thing is understanding the suggestibility of our children and how, because communication is more than just words, in fact, only 7% of communication is words and 93% is everything else, that our kids, especially those first 10 years of life, are, are sponges. And so understanding that everything you say and do or not say and not do is being absorbed by um, your children. And then understanding that looking at, well, what are you actually saying, not saying, doing, and not doing, and and why? What is the source of that? So understanding that, you know, we process all of this information through filters. We speak through filters. We listen through filters. And these filters are all set up from our childhood, from our values, from our memories and our past experiences, from our traumas, from generations of conversations that have been passed down to us. And so when we start to understand what has built our our belief systems, then we can begin to look at what impact that has had on us and our lives and what impact that's having on our communication, our behavior. And then you can begin to then see, oh, this is where my kid may be picking up this, right? This is where I'm unconsciously communicating a value or a belief and become more intentional about the beliefs and values that we are uh, communicating. Right. So 
To me, it sounds like there's a lot of kind of inner work and inner dialogue to be doing uh, maybe before we become parents, but you and I know that 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 doesn't happen, right? We 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 often become parents, and then suddenly we realize, oh my goodness, I'm having a huge impact, or you know, they're they're watching me, and all of this. So, how do we, you know, become kind of self aware in the in the moment, really? Because parenting is is you know in the moment every second of the day. Well, it's practice. That's for sure. It is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can say become self-aware in the moment and and the and the listeners can say, yeah. And then the moment this podcast goes off and, and the kids get in the car and they start blah 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 blah, you know, this the self-awareness goes out the window because we're we're you know we're in we're in the heat of the moment, right. So yeah. it is it is practicing before we're in those times of stress or before we're in those intensities. Um, it's it's practicing intentionally and understanding that we have blind spots. And so oftentimes I think it's very useful to work with others. I have a therapist, I have a coach, and I am a, a coach. I am not a therapist. I do not, I do not wear that title, um, but I am a coach. And so, you know, I the coach has to have a coach. I recommend everyone has someone that they work with. It doesn't have to be a coach, it could be a therapist. I you it's just useful to have someone who is a professional listener. <laughs> right, right. Who can hear the blind spots and can bring those things that are unconscious to the consciousness. Um, and, and then in between time and in the meantime, listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. W watch your children's responses to you. That will give you feedback as to what you're communicating. There's a saying that we have in, in NLP. It says that it's the, the meaning of the communication is the response that you get. Oh, I like that. Can you repeat that? Yes. The meaning of the communication is the response that you get. So what that means is that if you're communicating, if your intention is to communicate one thing, but the response that you get is incongruent, likely you communicated something different than you intended. <laughs> right, right. But is that is that my intention or is it their interpretation of what I was trying to communicate? It could be both. And the only way to know is to ask. And we do not ask our children enough questions. Yes. One thing I often ask my son is, and I ask him this because, you know, with kids, especially with that age kids, you got to tell them about a gazillion times to do something. And then you tell them and then they're, you know, I, I've learned not to give my son more than three step directions because at some point the loop is going to get broken. <laughs> so, so true. So I ask him, I, I, I say something and I say, what did you hear me say? Or what did you think I meant? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and some of it could be interpretation, but kids are so literal that, Sometimes we we do have to take be responsible for our communication. We can't give up the we for, especially for our for our children. We can't give up the responsibility to well. That's just how they interpret it. That in fact would be gaslighting our kids. Right. Yes. Okay. 
makes total sense. Thank you for for that. Uh, and one thing you you were uh, also mentioning is this notion of blind spots. Would you mind elaborating and maybe giving an example or two? Because I think I, I'm when you when you mention that I'm I'm a little confused. Sure. Well, I'll start I'll I'll start with a little bit of a metaphor. So when we're driving a car and we're in a lane, let's say we're in the right lane and you're driving and you want to change lanes to the left lane um, and you put on your signal and you and you look in your side view mirror and your rear view mirror and you go to change lanes, there's there's a spot that's that's often missed. That's that blind spot. Right. And, and if you don't look over your shoulder and now, of course, the, the new cars have the blind spot detectors. So there's a the little light that comes on. But even then. You still, you know, if you don't look over your shoulder, you may miss that little car that's driving up beside you in the blind spot. Well, it's the same thing. You know, the the fish in water is not always aware that it's in water. <laughs> and so when we are, when we're speaking uh, to our kids, when we're interacting in communication and say that our, our kid or maybe our spouse says something that activates us, that triggers a visceral response in us and we react immediately. There could be something that we're unaware of, something that when I say blind spot, it's a place of unawareness. We're unaware that is there, that drives our behavior or that drives our response. And we, as as much work as we can do consciously, we can't get to that because it's in a place of unawareness. It's in that unconscious or subconscious place. And, and only a person with, a, with an observer point of view, with a listening point of view outside of you, could see, oh, you know what it looks to me like, or what I observe, or the pattern that I'm seeing is, but you're in the pattern, so you can't see the pattern. That's the blind spot. Right. Which, which is where you, you say to, you know, have a therapist or a coach or and I would imagine this is also where hypnosis comes into play, where we can kind of dig deep into the unconscious, and 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 you and you're you're not you're not kind of holding tight and not wanting to to speak of certain things. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. perfect. One thing I I would love if you could um, kind of elaborate on, uh, Doctor Maisha, is this idea of the the difference between the language that we're hearing a lot about uh, trauma-informed or trauma-aware, and, and th- there seems to be a lot of nuances. And for me, I, I'm sometimes I'm not clear when we talk about you know trauma-informed, like what does that really mean to be trauma-informed? That's such a great question. So what I'll, I'll take you sort of through the the spectrum of it, right? So you mentioned trauma aware, and then you mentioned trauma informed. And so when we look at trauma, uh, there there are four, four spaces that we typically talk about when we talk about trauma. We talk about trauma awareness, trauma sensitive, trauma informed, and trauma responsive. Now, trauma responsive, uh, just just to say that's that a lot of times we talk about that in the context of of organizational structure, policies, and practices. So I won't speak too much on that, but what I'll start with is trauma awareness. 
So trauma awareness is simply understanding that we are we are informed by trauma. Like people, there are people who are informed by trauma. Trauma has an impact in our thinking, behavior, and communication. Just being aware of that is huge. And, and then in the spectrum, you can move from being trauma aware to trauma sensitive. And, and again, these are there's some overlap to this. It's not like, you know, a linear process. It is that there's definitely some overlap. The trauma sensitive is just a step further, under, look, understanding what the trauma response looks like, what, what activation looks like, um, learning how to listen for what trauma, what, what an activation looks like. And when I say activation, some people recognize the word trigger a little bit more. So what triggers people? And I use the word activation uh, because when, number one, I, I am moving away from more violent terminology. And, and number two, it, activation is, is a more, is probably a more accurate response if you, ha if you have an experience of trauma and someone says or does something that the brain recognizes as potentially harmful, then it, then it activates this, this space inside of you that will respond from this, this history. So trauma sensitive is just understanding what that activation looks like, being able to say, oh, you know, that could be an activation. And then trauma informed is, is beginning to incorporate the, the awareness and the sensitivity into daily interactions and communications and beginning to learn more and educate yourself more on um, how to interact and communicate in a way that prevents or de-escalates uh, harm in others. Right, right. Thank you for that. That was that was very informative and very clear. Thank you. Um, one thing that when you were talking about all this that comes to mind is unfortunately the events that are happening in the world right now. We are in October of 2023. Um, and I know for myself as a mature adult, I see images on you know, the news on social media and everything that activate, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of a response of just total, uh, I don't know, fear and sadness and, and so forth. And yet, you know, at the same time, I'm, I'm like, well, what can I do about it? How can I help others and so forth? So would that be in that realm of trauma responsive, like how do I, how do I as an individual respond to that, or how do I help others um, make sense of it? I, I don't know if I'm clear in my question. <laughs> absolutely, no, absolutely. Like that, that is that's well. It's it's in that place of you know trauma informed and trauma responsiveness is beginning to ask those questions and look at what what is my part what what is there for me to do um how can i contribute to mitigating harm or 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 protecting and preventing harm from spreading so though that is in the realm of trauma responsiveness absolutely okay okay and how how would you 
help families, um, you know, today deal with maybe children, I guess, asking questions because they are seeing, you know, traumatic imagery and so forth. How, how as, as the, the adult in the room, how do we help our children kind of navigate what, what is being shared these days? I think that, and this is this. I think this is a question that can have multiple answers, and I'll just share from my perspective. I think it's useful to be honest in an age-appropriate way. If you're, if if you know, if my son comes home and shares with me that his uh, friend. Um, and, and this did happen, by the way, you know, his friend was sharing some things about how his family was being treated as a result of some of the things happening between, you know, these, these two conflicting nations. Um, then I sit down with him and, and just, you know, t- I, I talk in a very broad sense because I, I don't want to traumatize him, you know, and, and at the same time, I feel you know, it's 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 useful for him to understand that the this is that these types of things happen, and what he can do, um, or or be mindful of as he goes to school and hears these things um, happening. And if he has any questions that he can ask me, I think when we try to hide these things from our kids, um, then it. it it doesn't give them doesn't it doesn't create a, a space of of I would say psychological safety where they feel they can express themselves when they're when they're struggling, and so I think that openness cultivates a level of safety and intimacy that if they are feeling having some emotions about it that they feel they can express those emotions and and one thing that I often ask my son is you know what do you need from me to help you to help to help you to manage this or to help you to cope with this or help you to feel better um, about this. And and oftentimes, you know, if your your child is old enough old enough to be able to say, and I think sometimes we discount that, that they are, mm-hmm. will tell me. Yeah. I like that. I like that question. What what do you need from me to be able to manage that? And and as you were saying it, I was actually thinking of my own, of my husband right now, who's going through a difficult time with, with the health of his own father. And, and I feel sometimes I'm at a, at a loss as to how I can be of support because there's not much I can do, but um, I like that of how can I um, help you navigate this situation? Yeah, it's a it's a question I often ask him that I ask, you know, my friends, especially my friends who are going through challenging times right now as a result of the conflict that's happening. You know, how can I support you? How can I best support you as you navigate your emotions or your feelings? Because I know that I can't I may not be able to fix it, you know, for myself when he's having a difficult time. I may not be able to fix certain things, but I ask you know, how can I, what can I do? What can I do to help you to feel better in this moment? Yeah. One thing that you, when you were talking about, you know, your son asking questions, uh, I can't help to think that sometimes it's not that we hide information, but I guess we, we have this, you know, 
need to maybe protect them from from you know evilness and sadness and so forth so i like when you say that it's age appropriate but to me it's also waiting for their questions as opposed to wanting to inform them of situations does that make sense absolutely absolutely i don't you know now i will say this uh you know because i know that um most people we're we're audio so most people can't see me what i'll share that's a little bit different from my perspective is that as a as a black mother raising a black son there's a, there's a conversation that we actually do have to bring up and have and so sometimes we can't wait we can't wait for you know the questions to come up because it can be detrimental uh, to the health and 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 lives of our children. So there are things that we have, like when during the pandemic and during the the, the, the the murders of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and the, the likes of many um, people, I had to have a conversation with my son about how to be, what to do, what not to do, what to say, what not to say, you know, not to wear, put your, put your hoodie down, you know, like these are the types of conversations that are unique to to the black community. And I'm sure that other communities of color have their nuanced things that they that they have to imbue in their children early on. And so I think it's it's necessary to just distinguish that. Right. And, and that makes that makes total sense more on a kind of a, um, how would you say, a, a value of family values of, of these are things that to, to be aware of and to pay attention to, as opposed to what I was asking about kind of world events that are, are specific. Yeah. So yes, that makes total sense. Um, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, and, and one thing I know that you talk a lot also about and, and how your trainings can help families is to heal uh, generational wounds. And I know within the, the Black community, that is, that is humongous. And to me, it's like, how does one, so if you know, parents or educators are listening, like, how do we help ourselves and our children kind of heal what the past has, has inflicted on us? I appreciate that question. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting question. I do believe that, you know, of course, in in the black community and communities of color, generational trauma is, um, is a thing we, we, often contend with. And I will say that it's not exclusive to um, our communities because I do know that, you know, generational trauma impacts everyone. Yes. And yeah, absolutely. And so um, I, I, I think that going through the healing process ourselves helps to, to stop the, the behaviors and the communications and the thoughts that then inflict trauma on the younger generations. And so if you are a parent and, or an educator even, and you, and, and you know that you have experienced or caretaker or any caretaker of child, I should say, and you have experienced 
trauma in some form or fashion, doing the healing for yourself helps to stop the cycle. And that's what has to be done is to is to stop that cycle of behavior. Uh, you talked about earlier, and we it's sort of coming back a little full circle to this parenting from our trauma. When we began to do our own healing work, then when the, our children push our buttons, as they will do, because that is, you know, that's that their is, job. That's exactly that is that they were born with our bodies. They know all the buttons and they're designed to push them. Right. Yep. Yep. And, and so when we when they push those buttons, we can recognize which buttons that they're pushing are connected to past trauma and shift our responses to them. And this is this is work that I definitely have done personally. I became a mom later on in life when I was 39. And so, you know, I had my whole life of working on all these things, but buttons that I didn't know were there emerged when I had a child. <laughs> and I had a lot of work, trauma healing work to do. And it makes a huge difference in the way I communicate with my son now. And I see this when I when I work with my, my clients one-on-one. I see this when my students come out of my trainings. I, I get reports back from in our graduate community of how the relationship to their children, to their spouse, even to their parents has changed. Sure. So it always comes back to to ourselves, to doing the work ourselves before we can help anyone else, including our children. Yeah, I, I think it's it's because that is the thing we can most control. Right. We can't control other people's behavior. We can't always control the world out there, but what we can control is our responses, is our own internal reactions and our own healing so that we can show up in the most empowered and powerful way for the people in our lives, especially our children. Oh, beautiful. Thank you for that. And and as we uh, wrap up, uh, Dr. Maisha, I would love if we could just circle back to maybe more of a personal question. And you mentioned that you're mother to a nine-year-old. So if you were to go back to maybe 10 years ago when you were expecting your your child, what wise words would you tell yourself knowing all that you know today? Oh, that's a wonderful question that I would tell myself to begin building my community, my mom community, my support community right then. <laughs> yes, so important. Yeah, I mean, I've spent a lot of time you know, in the last, I would say, three to four years, really building. And, and, and I would have definitely recommended that I had started that when I was still expecting my son. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. And, and that's, that's interesting you say that because that's some of the work that I do. I love meeting with expecting parents. And it's true that I've noticed how they bond. And especially if we meet after once they have the newborn, it's, it's, friendships and bonds that that last a lifetime so it's so important because as you and I know parenting was never meant to be done alone and it's meant to be done in community absolutely I love 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 that I was a um it was a fellow mom who got me through my 
my, you know, I would say the fourth trimester, you know, mm-hmm. who got me, helped me to move through uh, my own postpartum uh, depression that I experienced. And, um, and so, yeah, we, we have to, we have to allow ourselves to be contributed to in community. And it's, it's just such a beautiful thing to watch my son now who has friends who he's known since he was one years old that are still his friends and have those moms, you know, be my same friends uh, today as well. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, Dr. Maisha, any parting words that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Absolutely. I, I think parenting is, is a journey. And if you're listening and, and we've been talking about, you know, trauma and healing and, and especially if your kids are a little bit older and you're saying, oh my gosh, you know, have I, what have I been, you know, traumatizing my child? I want you to know that this is a journey. Kids are resilient and you can always repair and mend uh, relationships, no matter what age your, your child or adult child is. Um, and I've seen it. And so I just, I, I want to have parents give themselves grace and, and, and knowing that this is a journey and the fact that, you know, you're even listening to a podcast like this and you're, and you're, you're trying means that you're, um, you're on the path. And so, um, that's, I think that's probably the, the thing that I most want parents to understand is that it's a journey and we have to practice self-compassion and self-love throughout this journey um, or else we will continue to traumatize and re-traumatize ourselves. And that's no good for our kids. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Maisha. This has been a wonderful conversation and I know will be very helpful and supportive to many. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Shambhali. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Art of Parenting podcast. And if you did, please share it with your loved ones and make sure to leave a review so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.